there are now two spaceships belonging to NASTY, the National Association for Research and Scientific and Technological Investigation, on the surface of Miranda, the smallest of the five moons of Uranus. The first piloted and stolen by Jimbird Flyflower, a strange old man with only one of everything, who is a top scientist at NASTY, and crewed by Dolan, who is aged somewhere between 9 and 13 and loves food, Ivan the Terrible, the world's worst rock guitarist, and Billy the telephone freak Perkins. The second, sent to capture and bring back the first, is captained by Crispin Lobb Mincing, another top nasty scientist, with a crew of Bratto the Wonder Boy, who wins every fight, Flipper Pilkington, a not very good ex-army helicopter pilot, and Father Out, a defrocked Irish priest. Dolan, Ivan and Billy have wandered off and fallen through a trap door into a huge magical underground cavern, which is the home of a 500-foot-high, cigar-smoking frog-like creature, the king of the big green things, the only survivor of the extinct population of Uranus. Jim Bird has persuaded Lob Mincing to join him in a joyride around the universe. And Lob Mincing has told him that he thinks their boss, Major General Fester B. Snarkbuster, USAF, open brackets, retired, close brackets, is a spy. A spy? said Jim Bird. I used to think the old bumbler acted a bit hard now and then, but a spy? I wouldn't have thought him clever enough. Well, that's just it, see? said Lob Mincing. If he is a spy, he wasn't very careful how he went about it. How was that? Well, I've seen him quite a lot in the tea shop, just over the road from Nasty. And in big envelopes to large fellas with big hats and long dark overcoats and giving him small packets of what could only have been money in exchange. That's a bit obvious, to say the least. And who do you think these fellows were, Crispy, my boy? I'm not exactly sure, but I'd like to say they were probably undercover agents for an unnamed foreign power, the identity of whom I cannot mention, but who may be regarded as a possible future enemy. Oh, you means the Russians? Lob Mincing paled inside his helmet. Shush! He hissed. Jimbird laughed. Don't worry your head, me old friend. I doubt if they could bug us from 17 million miles away. Anyways, I gotta find me young crew. I haven't heard a peep out of their suit radios since they left the rocket. But I'm a mite worried about the little rascals. They could be in trouble. And being a bit short of me full set of arms and legs, I could use a little help very likely. How's about joining me in a search party? Lobmincing, Bratto, Flipper and Father Out all rattled their goldfish bowl-looking helmets as they nodded their agreement. Good, said Jimbird. Let's follow their footprints in the dust. By golly, they do seem to have got around a bit. And got around a bit was exactly what Dolan, Ivan and Billy had done as they had jumped and bounced around happily in the low gravity of Miranda. Flipper eventually found the three sets of matching prints, where the children had bounced together, up the ridge over which they had fallen 
into the crevasse. The five stood at the ridge top and looked down at the marks in the dust that stopped at the edge of the crevasse. Lark's a mercy, said Jim Bird. Don't say they've fallen down there. They made their way to the edge and peered in. It was, of course, quite empty. Jim Bird was about to try his suit radio, without much hope, when he caught sight of the gleam of the press button to the secret trap door. It had been made shiny by Dolan's frantic scramblings at it when the three had been stuck in the crevasse. Reckon I'll just take a gander at that, said Jim Bird. And without much more ado, he jumped lightly into the crevasse and fetched up opposite the button. Taking his crutch firmly in his hand, Jim Bird gave the button a good, hard push. The king of the big green things was telling Dolan, Ivan and Billy about his cavern. I told you I got a magic touch with things which solves a lot of problems, my little one. But I've arranged things so that some of what goes on in here takes care of itself. The sunlight, for instance, comes through that huge crystal window up there and the roof. And as Miranda takes less than two days to orbit round Uranus, unlike your moon, which takes nearly a month, I find I get a lot of that. And besides, he smiled, that's a rather special crystal, which works like one of your electricity storage heaters, so that when it's dark outside, I have plenty of lovely sunlight in here. But don't you ever feel like a bit of darkness? said Dolan. The king rumbled with laughter. Easy, he said, and clicked his fingers. Immediately, there was a great rumbling, and a huge blind slid smoothly into place, completely blotting out all light, except the pretty coloured glow from the electric lights of the galleries which lined the cavern. The children gasped in amazed delight. What about the air? said Dolan. How do you keep it fresh? Simple photosynthesis, little one. All the lush tropical greenery gives me and my relatively big green things all the oxygen we need and consumes all the carbon dioxide or bad air that we produce. But what about... Dolan yelped with fright, having just felt a sharp poke in the ribs and hot breath on the top of his head. Ah, that'll be one of them now. They're a little shy when the sun's shining. The king clicked his fingers once more and the blind slid back to reveal a large crowd of the relatively large green things surrounding the three children and blinking in the sunlight. They were all about ten feet tall, green, with pot bellies, long arms and short legs, and stood upright like the king. But rather oddly, their heads, though green, were shaped exactly like mice, and they all had long green whiskers and were squeaking amongst themselves. Dolan, Ivan and Billy thought they looked very funny indeed, but tried not to laugh out of politeness. Ah, they're simple, friendly little fellows, the king was saying. Dolan did not think they were little at all. But how... began Dolan. The king cut in. Enough, enough of these questions. I'd like you to try my magic galleries. You, little Ivan, love the music of the guitar. 
So permit me to introduce you to an interesting stage in the development of that instrument. The king spoke a few strange words to one of the relatively large green things, who squeaked and waddled over to the entrance of the gallery marked music, took down from a hook a tiny black box on a leather thong, carefully typed out a message on the small keyboard and hung it around Ivan's neck. We have selected a time and a place for you, Ivan. And all you have to do now is step into the gallery, press the red button marked Go, and you will instantly be transported through time and space to the selected destination. And you may stay as long as you wish, five minutes, five weeks, or five years. But when you press the other button marked Recall, you will again be instantly brought back here, and it'll be as if you never left. Try it. The relatively large green thing took Ivan's hand and urged him gently into the gallery. Ivan stepped inside uncertainly and looked back. Dolan and Billy were watching intently. Ivan paused with his finger on the go button and looked back at the king, who nodded encouragingly. Ivan set himself, closed his eyes and pressed. He disappeared immediately. And he reappeared immediately. But now he was dressed in scarlet, with white lace at his collar and cuffs. And a long black cloak hung from his shoulders. He was spattered with mud. His cheek was cut and bleeding a little. There was a lot of snow on him. He was panting heavily. And he carried a lute. Forsooth. I mean, wow. Are you lost still here after all this time? I've been away nearly a year, cried Ivan. But you're not one year older, smiled the king. It was amazing, said Ivan. What happened? What happened? Chorused Dolan and Billy. Unbelievable. What happened? What happened? Cried Dolan and Billy. Incredible. What happened? happened? Shrieked Dolan and Billy. Well, said Ivan sitting down on a rock and cradling the lute carefully. It was like this. Thud. Ivan landed on a grassy mound, his finger still on the go button. It was dark and it was pouring with rain. He stood up and looked about him, The rain clouds obscured the moon and a spooky wind was moaning and blowing the rain in his face. He saw the dim light of a house and started walking towards it and immediately stepped up to his waist in mud. Saying some very naughty words indeed, Ivan climbed out of the hole and carried on, looking carefully where he walked. By the time he reached the house, which was large Though like a bungalow, and with very small windows, he was freezing cold and soaked to the skin. He couldn't find a doorbell or a knocker, so beat on the door with his fists. It opened. I say, what hempen homespun comes at capering here? The speaker was a slim, bearded man, wearing black doublet and hose. His eyes were bright and alert, and his slim, long fingers stained with ink. Alas, a God's will, do thou come in from the rain, for water hath a trick of drowning, and at best 
is a wetter. Thanks, muttered a very puzzled Ivan. And stay thee by the door, said the man, closing it. Else all will verily soak, and I've no want of the plague, for I would rather fain die a dry death. Mistress Buttle? A head popped round an inner door, and the eyes popped. Nay, stare not, good woman. Bring rubbing rags and dry apparel for my guest. And then take away these strange and muddy clouts he wears and wash them well. The man smiled at Ivan. As a housekeeper, she trips as light and quick as an ale butt. Buttle by name and buttle by nature. And the man slapped his thigh and roared with laughter. Ivan grinned shyly. He sensed that he had gone a long way back in time. It might frighten the man if he told him. So he decided to say as little as possible until he found his bearings. Truly thou art short in the tongue, young sir, but tis no bad thing, for I know some like thee would prattle to the lag end of day and naught issue from their mouths but hot air. But you'll sup with me, and it please thee? During a fine meal of mutton broth, Ivan learned that this was John Dowland the greatest lute player of his day, and a man whose music was destined to be played right into the next century and beyond. Ivan looked with interest at the many beautiful lutes hanging on the walls, illuminated by four huge yellow candles, one in each corner. But the mould's sweet wine and the warmth of the fire made Ivan drowsy, and the next thing he knew, he was being shaken awake on a bright sunny morning by Mistress Buttle with the words, What cheer, bully? Just fancy faggots and milk? The faggots turned out to be bacon rolled in egg and fried, and Ivan found them very delicious. And the milk was warm from the cow he could see in the field outside. There was a village in the distance. He heard music coming from the next room. Haunting, sad, but strangely powerful music, which stopped every so often to be replaced by the scratching of a quill pen. Ivan shyly entered the room. Dowland nodded at him, but carried on with his composition, while Ivan listened. The sadness of the music seemed an odd contrast with the cheerful disposition of John Dowland. Eventually he put down the lute, and stretching, said... When I was court lutist to the king of Denmark, I was paid as much as an admiral of the realm, and did compose at least one such as this each day. T'was uncommon good sport. Ivan tentatively picked up the lute. He noticed that it had more strings than his guitar, many more. Taking the plectrum from his pocket, he played a fast run up the scale, and then struck a chord. Two of the strings immediately snapped. Thou art a heavy-handed lumpkin and a homeless weight withal, cried Dowland. Dost not know that it costs me as much to keep one lute full-stringed as it does to feed a horse? But I see thou hast a talent for it. Pray you stay with me, and I will teach thee a trick or two. But first, cast away yonder duck's beak. There's no need for it. Taking up another lute, Dowland said, Thou pluckest with the fingers, so, and thus, and so. Ivan stayed almost a year at the home of John Dowland, practising and learning, learning and practising, every day, until he felt he was able to drop the nickname Terrible. Dowland, as a musician who practised every day too, 
did not seem to think it odd that Ivan never went out. The truth was that Ivan, foolishly wearing his own clothes, had ventured to the village one morning and had instantly been set upon by all the boys of the village, who thought him some kind of monster, because Ivan looked different to them, and people always tend to fear and hate other people who look different to them. Ivan hadn't dared to step outdoors again, even in Elizabethan clothes, for fear of being recognised. One day some of the strings on the lute Dowland had given him snapped, and this time Ivan dug out a set of nylon guitar strings he'd been carrying in his pocket. What manner of squawking cat-gut be that? smiled Dowland. But he was amazed when Ivan got out his plectrum and flayed away at them, and they didn't break. I am to court next week, announced John Dowland one day. Twill be the first day of January, Anno Domini 1600, and Her Majesty bespeaks some minstrelry to start the year. Wilt come? Aye, my lord, said Ivan, having fallen into the manner of speech of the time. They rode up to London on horseback. Queen Elizabeth looked a little fierce to Ivan, but when John Dowland had finished his recital, Ivan stepped forward and launched into Apache, accompanied by a young tambourine player who he'd previously bribed, and then let rip with a hectic version of Roll Over Beethoven, complete with a Chuck Berry guitar solo. The court was in uproar. Some protested, some jeered, and some young ladies even applauded a little as John Dowland hustled Ivan from the palace, and Queen Elizabeth rubbed her chin thoughtfully. Thou'rt becoming something of a young braggart, he said, and I know nothing of this Beethoven, but I fear he'll come to naught. On the ride home, Ivan's horse picked up a stone in its shoe. As they were now very nearly home, John Dowland said, Take him to the smithy yonder in the village, and follow home on foot. Ivan feared the worst, and he was right. No sooner had he left the blacksmith than he was surrounded by evil-smelling youths, all dressed in filthy rags, even though there was snow on the ground. Ivan ducked down an alley and ran for his life, for the boys carried heavy wooden staves. Rounding a corner, he saw more of them coming to head him off. Ivan skidded to a stop and fell to the ground. As he scrabbled in his collar for the little black box, he saw the first stave whistling down towards him. He twisted sideways in the snow, and it glanced painfully off his cheek. As the stave came down again, and the others closed in, he found the recall button, and jammed his thumb down hard. Crumbs, breathed Dolan. Billy was speechless. What say you? Art impressed, said Ivan, with the remnants of his Elizabethan speech sounding strange in his accent. Dolan and Billy nodded, smiling. And there's something else, Dolan, you know. I've always wondered about your name. It's a bit strange, isn't it? Dolan nodded. Well, John Dowland told me lots of people said his music was beautiful, but sounded, uh, what was the word he used? Melancholy. So he taught me this piece, which he called John Dallin is always sad, even though he wasn't really. 
and he told me the Latin title he gave it. He called it Simpadowland Simpadolans. Simpadolans.